Hi, this is Pastor Jordan Fowler from the Adairsville Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I'm just grateful for your listening to our messages here. Uh, may you be blessed and your family as well. Well, it's the time of the year for Christmas decorations. It's very interesting to think about uh, where the, these decorations come from and kind of the history behind them. Like the Christmas tree. Uh, the most popular theory holds that the tradition was started by a monk who came to Germany in the 7th or 8th century to preach. It's said that this monk was St. Boniface, the apostle to the Germans. According to history, the saint was the first one to bring a fir tree to the German people to decorate, for he claimed that its triangular shape represented the Holy Trinity, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The tradition was lapped up by the very devout Germans who started decorating the Christmas tree with simple white candles. Another thing we have at this time of year is mistletoe, and the Druids regarded mistletoe as sacred. They dedicated it to the goddess of love, and they would often prevent it from touching the ground. That's why it's hung above the door. This belief was altered to accommodate Christianity by claiming that the white berries symbolize the purity of the Virgin Mary. Holly is another decoration you see. It also had an integral part in English, early English folklore. But that one easily made the transition uh, to a holiday decoration with its sharp pointed leaves symbolic symbolizing the crown of uh, thorns and the red berries, symbolizing the drops of Christ's blood. The tradition of hanging a holly wreath on the door at Christmas began during the 17th century, and it signified a home that celebrated the birth of Christ. And this time of year, in front of every church, and often in front of many homes, we see a nativity scene. We see Joseph and the Mary and Mary and the baby Jesus. We see the animals, the shepherds, and the wise men. And it's the wise men that I want to talk about uh, today, because we sing about them in songs like "We Three Kings." And in that song, it says, "We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We've traveled afar." However, the Bible doesn't say that there were three or that they were kings, or that they were from the Orient. In fact, that song was written in England, and in the English mindset, anything east of Europe was considered the Orient. But I want to look at the Bible and see who were these men, why did they come looking for Jesus, were they there the night of his birth, and what was the significance of the gifts that they brought. So we're going to read the record, and it's only found in the book of Matthew, in chapter 2, starting in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Now, uh, Matthew was a book written mostly to Jews to convince Jesus, uh, sorry, to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And so this record of of him uh, that that Matthew wrote, uh, he mentions the city of Bethlehem, and that city in the Hebrew mind would uh, be very significant because, as you know, uh, as it says later in the Bible, that Bethlehem was the city of David. It was where David was from. Uh, Bethlehem means house of bread. It was a very fertile land, a very fertile place. And if you know the story in the Bible, the story of Ruth, that all took place. She was the great grandmother of David. That all took place in the city of Bethlehem. So these men were here for the birth of Jesus or because of the birth of Jesus. But who were they? Now, the Bible translates the word uh, wise men from the word magoi. It's uh, the Greek word. It's actually the root of the word uh, magician, where we get magician. Uh, These were men of noble birth. They were probably very well educated and influential, uh, but they were probably not Jewish. Uh, These were men who searched the heavens to know more of God. And one night they saw something. uh, And as men who were educated and who probably studied the stars and planets um, quite regularly, uh, back then, astronomy was quite sophisticated. Uh, they saw something one night. It wasn't a fixed star. It wasn't a planet. It wasn't something that they would see regularly. And uh, they probably had the scriptures back then, but what they were probably working with was what's called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And they came across a prophecy of one of their ancestors, a man named Balaam. Now, you may know that name. Balaam is most well known for having a talking donkey who saved his life. But Balaam was not a good guy. He was a, started off as a prophet of God and later tried to speak prophecies against the children of Israel for money. Uh, and actually, he's if you read Peter, Jude, Revelation, he's mentioned in all three of those books in a negative light, not somebody you would want to be associated with. However, in the book of Numbers, when he went to go curse the children of Israel, God actually put words in his mouth and he spoke blessings instead. And one of those can be found in Numbers 24-7. And in Numbers 24, 7, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, this is something called a parallelism, where there's two verses that are kind of uh, saying the same thing. So if we start with the last one, it says a scepter will rise out of Israel. Well, what is a scepter? A scepter is something that's held by a king. The other verse says a star will come out of Jacob. So they associated a star or the appearance of a star with the birth of a king because that's what the prophecy said. So they made the connection between the star and the scepter. 
And they brought gifts. Why? Because, well, when a king was born, that was the custom. You would bring the king gifts. So they began their long journey. They traveled probably by night because they were crossing the desert in harsh places. Um, oftentimes when we see wise men images or, or we see three men on donkeys, you know, kind of riding in the desert, but probably they had an entourage. Uh, you wouldn't make that kind of journey, uh, just three men by themselves, especially carrying such valuable things as they were. We don't know how long the journey took, uh, but we do know that the journey was longer than 40 days. And I'll tell you how we know that here at the end. Now, if you skip to Luke uh, chapter 2, in verses 21 and 24, uh, we have another interesting account. Now, this is uh, sometime after Jesus' birth. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, it says, When eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Remember, the angel came and told Mary and Joseph what his name would be. It was the Hebrew Yeshua, or the, as we would say, Joshua. It got transliterated to Jesus from the Greek, Iesus. So the eight days after his birth, he was uh, circumcised according to the Bible. Uh, and verse 22 says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, the number of days that Mary would have to wait, because she had a son, it would be 40 days, would be the days of her purification. So she would remain in her house for 40 days. She was ceremonially unclean, couldn't go uh, to the temple. If she had had a daughter, it would have been 80 days. For, for, for Mary and Joseph, uh, this was kind of an anxious season, right? The circumstances of her birth, of, of Jesus' birth, of Mary giving birth. Um, you know, Joseph uh, thought to put her away or basically divorce her, and then they were visited by angels, and then shepherds came at the time of Jesus' birth. They thought they were just, you know, having Jesus privately. And there, yet these shepherds came and says, hey, man, angels told us to come. And, and, um, and it tells us here, uh, in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and they were to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's an interesting uh, thing, too. Uh, when a son was born, um, you were to give a gift to God. I believe it was uh, 20 days labor, 20 denarii, which would be 20 days worth, uh, 20 days worth of pay. And so uh, a lot of people, they would bring a lamb, but Mary and Joseph being poor uh, could only afford the, probably the 20 denarii. 
and couldn't afford a lamb in addition, and so they brought two turtle doves, which was acceptable. Um, so actually, the three wise men probably started their journey uh, the night Jesus was born, not arrived there the night he was born, but started their journey. Now, if we go back to Matthew uh, in chapter 2, Pick up our story there. Uh, we see the wise men. They've come to Bethlehem. They're asking, where is the king of the Jews? In verse 3, it says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And that's because uh, this Herod, now if you read the Bible, there's several. There's Herod. The great, who this is Herod, although he wasn't so great. His son was Herod Antipas. And then we read about his, his grandson, or I think maybe his grandnephew, uh, also named Herod in the book of Acts. And they were all rulers uh, of different areas. Herod the Great was called this because of his building prowess. If you've ever been to Israel or know about it, he built Masada and other places there. Uh, he had a he beautified the temple there in Jerusalem, um, and when he ascended to the throne, um, he executed forty five noble, and he did this because he didn't want any um, one to try to take the throne from him. In his life, he executed three of his sons and one of his wives. In fact, it is said of Emperor Augustus that he reportedly quipped, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, because Herod being Jewish wouldn't eat pigs. Um, so if this man was troubled, this kind of violent man uh, given over to, to, to violence and um, these types of things, if he was troubled, you could imagine the whole city was troubled with him because they didn't know what he was going to do. And verse 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And this is amazing to me. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. So that, that's a direct quote of Micah 5.2. <clears throat> so the priests knew where Jesus would be born. And they knew from the book of Daniel about what time he would be born. And yet, nobody was in Bethlehem keeping an eye on, on whether or not this, this Messiah had been born. And uh, the fact that these wise men had come from Jerusalem, they were considered by the scribes and Pharisees, they would be considered heathens, unlearned heathens from another country. Um, what do they know of the Messiah? What do they know of his birth? And so they wouldn't have taken their uh, charge very seriously that the Messiah had been born already. 
And you can see even at this early stage, uh, the Pharisees, the educated leaders of Israel, already their hearts were becoming hardened. Because they believed certainly God wouldn't bypass the priests. Certainly he would tell us if the Messiah was to be born. And yet they received no word from God on that matter. Verse 7 continues, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and see the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So Herod couldn't send soldiers to Bethlehem. That would arouse suspicion. So what he does is he tells the wise men, go ahead, go on your way. And when you find the child, bring me word back. And so it seems they left again at twilight so that the star would be visible. And they were on their way to Bethlehem. Verse 11, it says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. That's verse 11. So a couple very uh, important things here. First of all, Jesus is no longer in the stable. Right, It says in verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary. Now that word for young child is kind of like in English, we differentiate from toddler and infant and newborn. Right, Uh, That word young child does not refer to a newborn. That refers to a child that's probably from three months old to two years old. So... um, They weren't there at his birth. And we'll look at that again here in a second. Um, And it says they fell down and worshipped. They fell down and worshipped. How often do we give Jesus the reverence which is due to him? How often do we fall on our knees before him? Well, the gifts they brought were important as well, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these, gold, these, these gifts were significant in their own right. First uh, Peter 1.7 says, I hope that you have the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 3, Jesus implores the Laodiceans to buy gold tried in the fire. So gold represents a pure character. It's a valuable um, commodity in itself, but uh, it also represents a pure character. And gold has to be burned off. The, the, the things, if you want pure gold, the that's worth the most, you have to take away all the impurities and that requires fire, uh, very, very hot fire. The other gift they brought was frankincense. And frankincense was actually used by the priests in the temple. That's what was put on the altar of incense that covered with smoke. 
and scented uh, sweetly. If you got anywhere near the temple, you would probably smell the smell of frankincense because that was kept burning on the altar all the time. It represented uh, the prayers of the people. And in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So Jesus gave of himself, and he became that sweet-smelling aroma to God. And so his, his intercession is mixed with our prayers, and that's what, what makes our prayers sweet before God. And the final gift they brought was myrrh. And myrrh is an interesting uh, thing. Myrrh is made uh, from incisions on a small tree. They would find this small tree and they would make incisions and they would collect the sap. And uh, that's what they would make myrrh from. And myrrh in that time had a very specific purpose. And you can find that purpose in John 19.39. This is after Jesus has died. And in John 19.39, it says, And Nicodemus, who at the first came to Jesus by night, also came, this is, he's coming to Jesus' tomb, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about a hundred pounds. Myrrh was almost primarily used um, for embalming and burial. So what's interesting about that gift in particular is that it kind of speaks to the fact that they understood what Jesus' ministry would be. Uh, frankincense is something that you only gain really something out of by burning it up, by sacrificing it. And myrrh is something that's only used primarily in burial. And so it seems that they, they understood what would be the, uh, the... These are all valuable things in and of themselves, but they also speak to the ministry of Jesus in his life. Now, verse 12 is significant because this will kind of wrap it up for us. But this is how I'll tell you a few of the things um, that I mentioned earlier. Verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and be you there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So these verses, this is how we know that the wise men were not at Jesus' birth, and how that we know that it was at least 40 days until they arrived, because Joseph and Mary and Jesus would not have gone into Jerusalem, basically into the lion's den where Herod was, if they had already received this message from the angel. They wouldn't have uh, endangered Jesus by going into Jerusalem. So all of that had to happen prior to the wise men coming, because it seems as soon as the wise men left, the angel appeared to Jesus, and as soon as that happened, they left for Egypt. So the, the circumcision, which had happened at home, but the, the going to the temple and all of that had to happen before the wise men came. So that's how we know that it was at least, at the very least, 40 days between Jesus' birth and the wise men coming. 
I want to end with this. This is a quote from a book I love called Desire of Ages. It's a biography of Jesus. And it says this, the Magi, or the wise men, had been among the first to welcome the Redeemer. Their gift was the first that was laid at his feet. And through that gift, what privilege of ministry was theirs? The offering from the heart that loves God delights to honor, giving it highest efficiency and service for him. If we have given our hearts to Jesus, we also shall bring our gifts to him, our gold and silver, our most precious earthly possessions, our highest mental and spiritual endowments will be freely devoted to him who loved us and gave himself for us. You know, the greatest gift you can give this season is to give your heart to God. And the greatest gift that you can receive this season is receive his son, Jesus Christ, into your heart. So this holiday season, this Christmas time, may you and your family have a blessed and happy Christmas. God bless you.